Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Alike Okunpawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner. Darren Pritchett. And a pleasant good evening, everyone. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960. WSBT, as always, we are streaming live at WSBTradio.com on our WSBT radio app and also a live video stream right now via our Twitch app, which you can just go to Sports Radio 960 WSBT on Twitch to find that video. Eight minutes after five o'clock on this very pleasant first day of March. 2023. Hopefully you've had a terrific Wednesday. Budweiser's weekday sports beat only 90 minutes tonight due to coverage of Notre Dame basketball beginning at 630 with pregame coverage from Purcell Pavilion. Tony Simeone, of course, on the call of Notre Dame basketball. And it will be Notre Dame taking on the leaders of the ACC, the surprising Pittsburgh Panthers, it is a 7 o'clock tip here on WSBT Radio, a unique night at Purcell Pavilions. It's all about goodbyes tonight as it is senior night for the Notre Dame basketball team. Of course, seems like half of the team is departing, a lot of grad students on this team, and also the final home game for head coach Mike Bray after 23 years on the job leaving the program and this is his final home game and Notre Dame has been such a terrific team over the last 23 years on their home floor 
And this is going to be it for Mike, then apparently a trip to the linebacker for the first time coming up after the game. And as he said, he's going to close the baby down tonight because there are no restrictions on his watch tonight. We have plenty of conversation to get to, despite the fact we are only on the air for 90 minutes tonight. We've got our hat trick of opening topics ready to go in just a moment. At the bottom of the hour, at 5.30, Mark Johnson returns to the program 36 years as a high school boys basketball coach. Mark retired a couple of years ago. He'll be back to recap night one of Hoosier Hysteria. We'll take a look at some of the action that took place last night, including the games that he saw over in Elkhart. We've got our Twitter question of the day coming up also later on this hour. In the 6 o'clock hour, only 30 minutes to work with, you will hear from Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. He also is in charge of covering the Irish women's basketball team. So with Tyler, we will talk about Notre Dame football coaching hires and also Notre Dame women's basketball star Olivia Miles getting injured. Is there any update on her status and also the very awkward announcement that Neil Ivey was the ACC Coach of the Year and Mark Packer of the ACC Network just kind of took away all the starch from Neil winning by basically saying, yeah, congratulations, but somebody else should have won it. Tyler will explain all that coming up when he joins me in less than an hour at 6.05 here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And then again at 6.30, off we go to Notre Dame men's basketball, the home finale against the leaders of the ACC. How about that? The old Pittsburgh Panthers. That is what's coming up over the next couple of hours here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Here is the hat trick of opening topics, three topics to begin this opening segment on this Wednesday, March the 1st of 2023. Up first, it's all about Gino Gadouli, officially named Notre Dame's new quarterback coach today in a press release put out by the University of Notre Dame. No press conference has been set as of yet, so we have the chance to hear from Gino. He is another former co-worker of Marcus Freeman that is joining his Notre Dame coaching staff. Freeman and Gadouli worked together on Luke Fickle's staff at the University of Cincinnati. Gadouli followed Fickle to Wisconsin. He was in Madison for a short time. And now he's coming to South Bend to be Marcus Freeman's quarterback coach. I personally have zero problem with the number of people that Marcus is bringing in that he has worked with in the past on other staffs. Some might say, well, don't you need other voices to bring different ideas? I understand that, but we're talking about a second-year head coach, a guy that is still establishing himself as a head coach at a pretty important football school, Notre Dame. And at this point in his coaching tenure, it's all about bringing in people that he knows and trusts. Jared Parker knew him at Purdue, brought him to the staff last year as tight end coach. He's now the offensive coordinator. There's one example. Gadouli falls into that same category. Now, eventually in time, a couple of years down the road, if Marcus 
sees that he needs to alter his plan on what he wants Notre Dame football to be, you can always bring in outside voices. If you want to hear a new voice, a new way of doing this or a new way of doing that, he can go do that. But right now it's all about establishing what he wants Notre Dame football to be. And that can be accomplished by bringing in people that you know extremely well. And honestly, they know you very well and what you want from them. So I like the direction Marcus has gone right now, bringing in people that he's very familiar with. For Gadouli, walks into Notre Dame at the appropriate time. Because you look at the starting quarterback position, you can make an argument before he even puts on the Notre Dame helmet for the first time in spring practice, 21 days from today, that Sam Hartman has the chance to be the most efficient quarterback the best quarterback, the most productive quarterback at Notre Dame since Brady Quinn almost 20 years ago. That's a pretty good place to start in your quarterback room. You've got Tyler Buckner, who came back from the shoulder surgery after he was injured in Game 2 last year, got back for the ball game. Really, really good stuff. Really, really shaky moments. He had some rust, but there were some exciting moments to build on. You've also got a young guy in Steve Angeli. That's kind of your top three at the present time. And the quarterback coach, not being also the offensive coordinator, can be a positive. I don't mind it at all. In fact, when you're offensive coordinator, you are coordinating the offense. I know that's not exactly breaking news. But the quarterback coach is going to work hand-in-hand with the offensive coordinator but has plenty of time to not only get the quarterback who is starting ready for the next game, he is developing the other quarterbacks. And as we know, year in and year out, that number two quarterback, it's very important they can get on the field and play well because it seems like at some point you are going to need them, whether it be a short or a long period of time. Drew Pine last year. So I think this is something really good for Marcus Freeman. You've got a quarterback coach who helped develop Desmond Ritter into a terrific college football player. Now he's going to be a starting quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons. Let's see what he can do in building on what Sam Hartman has accomplished at Wake Forest. Continue to grow Tyler Buckner, Steve Angeli, and then other quarterbacks down the line. So it is official. Gino Gadouli has a chair at the table, the new quarterback coach for Marcus Freeman at the University of Notre Dame. Next up, we are hoping to hear soon that the expected offensive line coach to be Joe Rudolph from Virginia Tech, more well-known for his time at the University of Wisconsin. Our second hat trick opening topic for this Wednesday A Big Ten blowout in Bloomington. The Iowa Hawkeyes drilled the Itagata Basketball Club 90-68. to A 47-burger put up by the Hawkeyes in the first half. Obviously, defense was optional for Indiana last night. Iowa, who can put up a lot of points? They are an offensive team. Took advantage. They shot 55% from the field, 13 of 23 from the three-point line. 
How many times does an opposing team go into the assembly hall and shoot 25 free throws? Iowa did, made 17. They're all everything player. Chris Murray, 26 points. Tony Perkins, 23 and 10 rebounds. For Indiana, Trace Jackson Davis was the offense with 26 points, 10 of 16 from the field, 6 of 8 from the charity stripe. Didn't get much help after that. Indiana coach Mike Woodson sometimes is a man of few words. Last night was one of those nights. In fact, the press conference was so short that we can bring you the entire press conference wrapping up this second of three hat trick of opening topics. And I think as an Indiana fan, you pretty well know that Mike Woodson is not going to back off. If he is going to be dead honest about his team being bad, he will say it. Had to do a little editing to make this PG-13. So here's Mike Woodson after Indiana got thumped at home by the Iowa Hawkeyes 90-68 to just a couple of days after winning in West Lafayette over the Purdue Boilermakers. Not real happy, you know. I mean, we just we left our game in West Lafayette, you know, and it's just unacceptable the way we played tonight. You know, I apologize to our fans. You know, I'm the coach. I got to get them ready to play. Yeah. I guess from the Jeffs' perspective, just what wasn't taking, whether it was in timeouts. You saw the same. Time. You saw the same game I did. They had their way, doing everything they wanted to do. Jeff. In a game like that where the other team's making that many threes, is it more about trying to defend them and stop them, or is it more about, hey, we got to make threes too? How do you approach that aspect of it? How about playing some defense? That'll help, which was non-existent tonight. Alex, were you happy with the preparation coming in? Was there anything you saw coming in that maybe you No, I thought we prepared. You know what I mean? They just competed, man. They, they came in here, kicked our Beep. Why, why were they able to get so free to get these three-point shots off and to continue to stay in that rhythm? Why weren't you guys... Guys, we haven't given up 47 points all year and a half. So, I mean, nothing we did defensively that we worked on worked. We just... We weren't there for some reason. And I got to figure it out. Right. Coach, how much time will you spend looking at this game? Are you just going to flush it and move on to the next No, you got to look at it. I, ne- I never let a game go on unnoticed. You got to look at it and learn from it. You know, but got to go back to work. We have tomorrow off and Thursday, we'll get back to work. Okay. Mike, you guys are own four against Iowa in the last two years. You've given up 80 plus in all of those games. What do the Hawkeyes do offensively that has given you issues? You saw the same game I did tonight. <laughs> okay. Okay, that's what the reporter said. Got his answer? Okay, we're good. Not much to say after that performance. I know IU fans got to be going nuts. One moment they absolutely adore their team. The next moment you want to pull your hair out. But you know what? That's just college basketball today. There is so much parity. You have a bad night, you can lose to anybody. You can play a great game and still lose. It's tough, man. It is tough. With all of the balance across the country. I mean, you look at the Big Ten. All the teams kind of bunched together in the top 10 or 11. 
there's just not a lot of difference between the teams. Zach Eady makes Purdue a little better than everybody else because no one else has a 7-4 player that can put up 30 and 15. In fact, they don't have a 7-4 player on their roster. That separates them from the pack. And then, depending on your week, you can make an argument who the next best team is. For a while, it was Rutgers, Northwestern. You could say Indiana. Maryland has kind of creeped up the standings now. It's just hard to win. And Indiana had a clunker. Maybe they had a hangover from the win over Purdue, whatever the case. 90 to 68 shouldn't happen. Now, there's no reason why Iowa shouldn't have won the game, but they shouldn't have won it by 22. And the Hawkeyes have won four in a row against the Indiana Ball Club. Jalen Hood Shafino, after 35 against Purdue, came down to earth eight points, four of 14 from the field. Indiana now 20 and 10, 11 and 8 in the Big Ten. Purdue leads the way, and of course, co champs already at 13 and 5. Maryland, Michigan, Northwestern, 11 and 7. Iowa, Indiana, 11 and 8. Illinois, Minnesota, or I'm sorry, Illinois, Michigan State, Rutgers, all 10 and 8. Just kind of all jam together. And our third and final topic for tonight, which kinds of leads us into our first guest, Mark Johnson, in about eight or nine minutes. Over at Elkhart last night, Penn just did Penn things last night, dominating the competition, the best team in the area, routed Elkhart 83-37. I heard from some people over at Elkhart that the Kingsmen were up 25-3 and the Mr. Basketball candidate, Marcus Burton, had not scored. That's what I've talked about. He is great, but there's a lot of weapons around him. He ended up with a triple-double, 14 points, 11 assists, 10 rebounds. Joe Smith stole the show with 26, and Penn wins 83-37. to Also last night over in LaPorte, Adams led Michigan City 27-18 late in the second quarter, but Michigan City went on a 27-14 run to take a 45-41 lead at the end of the third quarter. Jamie Hodges, you could argue, the best player in the sectional, Scored the first 10 points of the third quarter to get the Wolves going. He finished with 32. So Michigan City, really good second half of that ball game. Looked like for a while Chad Johnson's team might be able to pull off the upset, but Michigan City got going and won 70-62. Also in Laporte, Mishawaka turned back Plymouth 61-35. I thought Arthur Jones, the senior guard for Mishawaka, did a terrific job of controlling the game. He is a point guard that can score 20 points for you. He has the ability to get down the lane with the dribble, hit three-point shots. I thought he was a conductor of the orchestra last night and didn't play out of control, distributed the ball to open teammates, scored early and often. He scored nine of the first 11 points, finished with 13, but I thought he was the MVP by far in last night's ball game as Mishawaka picked up their 18th win of the season. I do want to say this. This is very uncomfortable to talk about, but it's a part of the storyline. My son plays for Mishawaka and was intentionally headbutted by Plymouth's Michael Sheely last night, and he has a nice ping-pong-sized knot above his left eye right now from the incident. Michael Sheely was ejected from the game, rightfully so. But I don't want to dwell on that. I want to say this about one player on Plymouth. His name was Davis Ray, and he scored 15 points last night. And I want to point out 
good things. Because going through the handshake line, sometimes it can be uncomfortable after a situation happened in a game. And Davis Ray stopped my son and said, I'm really, really sorry that that happened to you tonight and apologized. And for a high school boy or girl to do that, I can't say enough of how much respect I have for him, his parents, his family, for him taking the time in a tough moment losing a sexual game to say, I'm sorry for a teammate. I have so much respect. So I don't know if listening is from Plymouth and knows that family, but please let them know I said that. And I have so much respect for him as a player, really, really good player. But for him to take those actions, I was just thoroughly impressed. So Davis, thank you and good luck in the rest of your high school career. I think he's a baseball player, but I could be wrong. Jimtown, Marion beat Clay 69-44. Marion, 23-2. They gave up only 16 second-half points. Jackson Price had 24 for Rob Berger's team. And St. Joe, cruised by New Prairie, 76-52. How about Jace Lee? 32 points for Lee, 20 in the second half. Chase Konezny had 19 for that really good and young Indians basketball team that moves on to the sectional semifinal. Friday, Brian Miller, Ryan Eklinski will be back over at LaPorte High School bringing you coverage of the LaPorte sectional on our sister station, 96-1 the ton. At 6.30, it will be... Boy, one of the big games of the night, Michigan City versus LaPorte. That is a major showdown in the nightcap. It will be South Bend Riley taking on Mishawaka. The Cayman beat Riley for the first time in 17 years earlier this year at the Cave. So check out 96-1 the ton on Friday for sectional semifinal coverage. 527 is our time. We'll talk some hoops with retired Basketball coach Mark Johnson. That's coming up next on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. It is now about 28 minutes in front of 6 o'clock. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. My name is Darren Pritchett, joined once again by retired high school basketball coach. After 36 years roaming the sideline, Mark Johnson rejoins me. We talked on Monday to preview night one of Hoosier Hysteria. And now we can recap night one of Hoosier Hysteria. It was chalky up to a point. I would say that Northridge knocking off Warsaw for me is a, a tad bit of a surprise. And John Glenn really taking it to a team a team I saw earlier this year, Tippy Valley, that I thought was really good. That's a really good win for the Falcons. So, Coach, it's, it's good to be with you, and I know you spent, I think, a little time over in Jimtown last night watching the start of that 3A sectional, and, you know, we spent some time on Monday just talking about Rob Berger, who I think right now one of the best strategic coaches in our area. He's got another really good team that could go – on a big run, but the one thing that stood out in the box score to me, I was over in Laporte, so I didn't see the game, but I know how good, Coach, that Deglin Sullivan can be, but he was their third leading scorer in last night's ball game as Jackson Price led the way with 24 points. Was that a situation that Clay was trying to take away Sullivan or just tonight that other individuals got the opportunity to score and really took advantage? 
Well, I, I think, you know, a combination of both. And when you, when you have a player that handles the ball predominantly, um, Burton, um, Sullivan, they are in a situation where they really control who gets the points. I mean, they really do because they're able to read all of a sudden who's got the hot hand. Okay, they can see that somebody's trying to do something for them. What good teams do, they give up a good shot for a great shot. And that's what Sullivan was doing yesterday. I I thought a little bit yesterday, I thought Sullivan was doing, and even maybe uh, all of Mary in the first half, was trying to do a little bit more than what they normally do. Well, that's the first game of the tournament. You know, you've got the, the... the jitters, I guess I should say, you get that out of your system. But they certainly settled down. And they have weapons, and, I, and I've said this before, they have weapons where they can hurt you shooting the three, which is Price. They have weapons where they can attack the basket, which is Sullivan. Mm-hmm. And then they have weapons that can really hurt you on the inside, which is Thornton, who is also not afraid to shoot the three. And so they know what they're doing on that. And uh, credit Clay. But the thing is, the game lasts 32 minutes. If it lasted 16 minutes, then you could walk away. If it lasted eight minutes, you could walk away and say, oh, man, they did a great job. No. The key to this, and, again, this started with Jim Valvano, the survive in advance mode. Um, They survived. Now they advance. That game's done. And now they prepare for Friday. Coach, I'll tell you what, with – as good as Marion can be defensively with the zone that Rob puts out there against the opposition, if you're going to beat Marion, to me, forget about that for a moment, you better be able to defend. And why I say that is, and I'm not a coach and you can rip this theory apart, but if you play great defense against Marion and you grab defensive rebounds, you got to try to score going the other way before you get that zone set up. But once that zone gets set up, look what they can do. Clay's a team that can put up 90 points. They've done that this year. They had 44 last night. Well, you have to be able there, and I'll, and I'll critique that just a little sure. bit. You have to consistently do that. Um, they didn't consistently put up 90 points a year. And then you have to take a look and see, okay, who did they do that against? Sure. And when you change the style of how you play, and that's what we talked a little bit last uh, or on Monday, we talked about consistency. You have to have consistency of effort before you have consistency of play. And I think that is the thing where Mary does know. I totally agree on the defensive rebound. I think that is one of the most important fundamentals in basketball because that's where their offense stops and when you're, where your offense begins. But if you're a team that wants to take it and push it, that's how we always played. Well, we wanted to make sure, yes, we got down before that. And if we didn't, okay, that hurt us. But Rob is the kind of a team, and I marvel at this, and I said this to Rob, and I said this to his dad, I could never do it. He could win a game in the 30s, and he could win a game in the 70s. Um, I couldn't do that. If my team was in the 30s, that meant it was a long, long evening for the Mark Johnson team. And Rob is able to do that. And how he's able to do that, again, I, I think is marvelous. But you have to be able to play how you play. On attacking Marion's zone, what Rob does in that zone is same, no different than what Jim Beheim does. Mm-hmm. He pushes you out farther yeah. than where you want to be. Uh, and it does no good, okay, we're going to dribble weave. Well, you're going to dribble weave at the half court. You're not going to get a shot there. Okay, you're going to pass it around the horn from the volleyball line. 
okay? You're not going to get a shot there. So what you have to do, you have to be able to attack the zone where you can hurt the zone and make it move. And I've always believed the best way to attack a zone is attack it from the inside out, not from the outside in. And I think that's what Rob's team does. He's able to take away your penetration. He's able to take away your flash. He's able to be able to take away to where you can get it inside the zone collapse, then you kick out, and then you have a wide open three. And that's one of, I mean, just to compare, that's one of the things that Purdue does so well. They get the ball inside the Edie, and you have four people collapsing on him. Well, all of a sudden, you kick it out, and you've got people on the perimeter. Your job is to make that shot. If you make that shot, boy, that coach is good. If you do not make that shot, well, the coach has to change something. Well, what Painter said, I, I read it in the paper, no, we don't have to change. We have to be better. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what it is when attacking the zone. You have to be able to get on the inside, make the zone collapse, score if you can. If not, you kick out, and then you do your job. you got to make your shot. Mark Johnson, 36 years as a high school basketball coach, LaSalle, Riley, South Bend, St. Joe. Joining me here talking Hoosier Hysteria on WSBT Radio, the nightcap. Not much drama, Coach. St. Joe rolled by New Prairie, 76-52. to You've got a young star in the sophomore, Chase Konezny, scoring 19. But Jace Lee kind of stole the storylines from everybody. He had 32 last night, including 20 in the second half. Hey, you never pass on an opportunity, no matter what the year, how young of a team you have. But this is a team that is gaining great experience, a chance to win now. But you look ahead to the next couple of years, Coach, this is a really intriguing team. Excuse me, without a doubt. And, again, I go back. Excuse me, got me all choked up, there. I have that so, effect on people. Thing? Yes, you do, but I'm <laughs> going to leave that story another time. But when we had Demese and Shamar Dillard and that group as freshmen, uh, we – you know, we had a tough early. I mean, we were getting beat, uh, but the kids never quit. They just kept coming back. They just kept getting better. And one of the things that we told our players, before you can see a rainbow, you're going to have to deal with the rain. And we're going to be good. It just isn't going to be today. Well, we started to get good right around February. And most God, my great assistant that I had, you know, for many, many a year, and his thing always was, we, we want to hit our stride. We want to hit our stride going into the last week of February, the first week of March. Well, this is what I see Eric's doing at St. Joe. They're able, and to go back to that story there, uh, we were able to deal with the rain. Well, we saw the rain, but we won the sectional and the regional. Still, we had to play that little brother of mine um, who had uh, – Biggie Swanigan and a NFL football player and a a guy playing overseas and uh, just a really, really good team. Well, we didn't have enough talent to beat that. And, um, but I come back and I, and I turn this into St. Joe. The answer is yes, they are good enough to compete. And I, again, Jimmy Hahn, dear, dear friend who died way, way too early. um, I remember talking once and I said something about, you know, uh, young player here and he said no mark he said it's not a young player it's a varsity player and you you brought him up there you don't call him young you don't call him whatever you call him a varsity basketball player and i never forgot that and it always bothers me in a way when i hear teams making an excuse that they can't win because oh we're a young team well uh, then develop them you know 
get some seniors that are better. But I'm going back again. I'm making the short story extremely long. St. Joe is good enough to win. Kinesny is a talent. I mean, he is a talent. Brayshawn Woods, he is a talent. Um, you have to be able to see how much improvement Braylon White has done giving them as a freshman coming in. He is a talent. Okay, then you turn into the guy that had the 32 points. Jace Lee, and I would go up and, and watch them work out during the summer and stuff, and I talked with Jace, and I said before the year started, I said, Jace, why can your stats be this year? How many shots are you going to get from the floor? Oh, I think I could get, you know, eight to ten. Okay, that's fine. How many threes? Okay, five or six. Okay. All of a sudden, how many offensive rebounds? Okay, well, okay, I can get seven or eight. Okay. Well, each time you start to add those up, if you shoot 30% from the three, okay, you shoot six times, okay, there's three points. You get some steals defensively. All of a sudden, you're in the range to where you're getting 24, 25 points a game. Now, again, to go back onto all of this, I think Jace's biggest thing, and it's not a knock, it's a fact. I think sometimes he takes the first shot that is open instead of waiting for the shot that he can make. And we used to preach this all the time. It's not how many shots you take, it's how many shots you make. And this is where I thought last night he was exceptional. He drove the ball to the basket. All of a sudden, they had to take a step off. Okay, he had a wide open three. He hit his three. He got some glass. All of a sudden, he was able to get out on transition. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it a shock that he gets 30 points a game? The answer is no. But he has to make sure he does it within the confines of what Coach Gaff has been preaching to the team. Um, Am I happy for the team? You bet I am. Am I happy for uh, Jace? You bet I am. But this is something that I expect him to do. Not necessarily get 30 a game, sure. but he's got to be able to score, you know, in you know, in the realm of what the team is doing. I wrote this down wrong on my paper, so let me correct myself. St. Joe beat Jimtown last night, 76-52, and faces New Prairie on Friday. Just a quick thought, Marion, Washington. Marion took him down by 20 during the regular season. Um, I think Marion is the best team in the field. And we have said this a whole bunch before, just because you're the best team in the field doesn't mean you'll be the best team on the floor that night. And I think when you take a look at Washington, I think Northern is a tremendous player. And I think they have um, maybe not what Washington always used to have to where they had dog in them. I mean, they will go out you and they would look you eye to eye and you better not blink first because then they had you. They are they are a tough team, and they have a Washington tradition. And so it's going to be a ball game. I don't think you're going to see anything to where there's a, a 24, 25-point game in the semifinals and then in the championship. And, and I go back to my brother's team last night. Uh, he's a coach at Homestead, and he played Huntington North. And I think literally he played Huntington North the first game of the year and beat him by 50. And then all of a sudden, they're in the first game of the sectional, and he's down 22 to 20 at halftime. And number one, you start to get a little bit nervous. You know, the beads start to pop out in your head and under your arms. Um, it's a different game. You, you, you change. You make adjustments. And sometimes maybe the shots don't fall. And that, again, I go back, which is the joy of having a one-game tournament. You don't need to look ahead until you do your job that night. 
And um, I think the, the first game at six um, is going to be tremendous. It's, it's yep. going to be a great battle. And, um, again, I, I come back on this. I, I think all four of the teams in the sectional right now that are playing at Jimtown are capable of winning it. Hmm. And that's what makes it extremely exciting. Mark Johnson joining me here on WSBT Radio talking about night one of Hoosier Hysteria last night. Now, I know you were over in Jimtown and didn't see these games, so we'll just talk really generically about what happened over in LaPorte. Michigan City was down 27-18 late in the second quarter to South Bend Adams, but Michigan City went on a 27-14 run to take a 45-41 lead at the end of the third quarter, and Coach, it was just way too much. Jamie Hodges, he scored the first 10 points of the third quarter. He started to take over, finished with 32 points. To have a guy like that in your back pocket when you're struggling, you're down nine in the second quarter, I don't think a coach ever feels that they're out of the ball game when you have a talent like that ready to go off at any moment. That's exactly right. And whether you're in playing uh, the River City League up to the NBA, there's always a best player on the team. And it makes no difference if it's your a great team or not such a great team. You have a best player. And you can really tell the quality of the best player when he plays his best in the biggest games. And, and I think of, of players, I think of Reontre Lawrence. I was fortunate to be around when David Magley was playing and J.R. Kinesny. And when you needed a basket, you'd look at these people, and they had that look in your eyes, give me the ball and I will score. And they were able to do that. In Hodges, I saw him as a freshman. I have not seen him play this year, but from what I heard, he is a serious, serious basketball player. I don't know how they were able to spurt that way, but when you're able you know, to get that amount of points, we always set a goal for us, our teams, even when we were bad. Our goal is to get a minimum of 20 points a quarter. Did we always get that? The answer is no, but mm-hmm. I tell you, a lot of times we did get it. And how we got it was you score from your defense. You don't speed the game up from your offense by taking quick shots. You speed the game up from your defense so you can get in trans- that transition. And then you have to get three-point plays. And I'm basically talking the old-fashioned three-point plays. You get it to the rim, and you get fouled. And then all of a sudden, if you're fortunate enough to get some free throws and hit a three, all of a sudden you're looking at a 10-point deficit. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden you're up 10. And we were able to do that. We'll flip it to the other side. We were able to do that in the regional last year against um, Hammond. Um, Not last year, but my last year at St. Joe. Then all of a sudden we turned out around to the semi-state. We had a nice lead going into the third quarter. And the last thing you do, you look about it, that lead was done. And so a team that plays in spurts, you know, they're dangerous. But a team that plays in spurts also, you know, you could flip that to the other way. But uh, the fact that they were able to come out and beat Adams, quality win, Hmm. quality win. Finally, Mishawaka cruised by Plymouth 61-35, and Coach Arthur Jones had nine of the first 11 Cayman points, finished with only 13, but I said just a few moments ago he was like the conductor of the orchestra. He controlled the game, and I think sometimes I would think if I'm a point guard that can score a lot of points to be able to control the game can be challenging at times, and I would think as a coach it would be challenging to teach a point guard, no one to take his shots, no one to get other people involved. 
He balanced that so beautifully last night. I would have to imagine he had six or seven assists to go along with those points. But I would like you just to discuss for a moment, when you've got that really good point guard that's your leading scorer, is that one of the more challenging parts of being a coach is finding that balance between go get your points but also get everybody else involved? Not the good ones. You know, the good ones, and then you work your way up to the grade. Don't forget I had Brandon McKnight. Oh, yeah. Van. You know, and so J.T. Brevard, and I go back, traditionally, my point guards were my leading scorers. But what they were, they were so team-win-oriented. And this is the thing, again, I go back to, uh, to my assistants, Mo Scott, uh, Steve Kingsbury. You know, these people used to, to really drag that. You know, you score as a point guard when we score. And whether it be an assist, whether it be like a pass that leads to the pass that leads to an assist, you are creating an opportunity for us to score. And that's the hardest part for a point guard to understand. Burton gets it. I mean, I watched Burton, and Burton played – I saw it on the news, but I saw him play two or three times this year. And he took what was given to him. But when there was somebody that had a better shot than he, that ball was in their hands. And those guys better be ready for that. And one of the things that we talked about, Darren, on the the show on Monday about the guard play at Mishawaka, they have to be consistent. And they cannot turn the basketball over. And they have to be able to know the difference between taking a shot and making a shot. And the making of the shot is the, you just said it, the conductor. The conductor of the orchestra to make sure that we are in position to score. And from what you just said, and again, all I could do was see it on the news last night, um, it was special. I mean, it was good. And I want to let you know I did watch it on WSBT. That's where I saw the news. <laughs> Look at you. You're just doing everything you need to do. You're like a NASCAR driver. you got to get all the sponsor names in there. Well, I mean, I do the best I can. And, again, I'm, I'm like the house referee. I'm at your beckoning call. That's Whenever right. you need me, you're, call, you're calling. You know, And I'm there no matter what time, no matter how many times I get bumped, sure. how many times you forget about me. Mm-hmm. When you call, yeah. I'm there. I, I'm like I'm like the uh, – I don't know what I want to say, but I, I'm like the guy that I can be there whenever you need it. Just – there needs to be a song playing in the background about friends. You know, it just set the mood perfectly. It's unbelievable. Now, the only thing I want to throw out before we okay. hang off okay. real quickly – um, one of the things that we talk about, the tradition of the tournament, traditionally in the sectional, I want you to go back. You know, you go back to the meteorologist and SBT, and you can go back a long, long way. Traditionally, it always snowed sectional week. And traditionally, the regional week was always like today. And, again, we have a couple more days before we end the sectional, but I can always remember as a high school player, as a young kid going, I can remember going to the sectional once with my grandma Johnson and my dad, there was nobody. We had to go up to Connorsville yeah. again. It was like Mayberry going to Mount Pilot. But we would go up to the big city, <laughs> into the caravan and all that. You couldn't see two feet in front of you. Yeah. But you were there. It snowed. Yeah. Well, then the great thing about winning the sectional, you see all the guys and the gals going out for track and baseball and softball and tennis and what other sports you're playing and we're looking around saying yeah we get a practice in this kind of weather nothing is better than that and this is the start of it 
week one. You better believe it. Coach, we've got some good basketball coming up Friday and Saturday, and I will be in touch about Monday, and I will wait to the last second so I ensure you a spot where you won't be bumped or we have to reschedule. So I will wait as long well, as I, I can. But, well, believe me, I'm used to that. I don't <laughs> yeah. have to play next week. You know, five minutes ahead, just let me know. I'm there. Thanks, Co- Darren. Coach, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. That's Mark Johnson talking Hoosier hysteria on Budweiser's weekday sports feed on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. After you can listen to Budweiser's weekday sports feed live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT Radio in the App Store and Google Play. Now, back to local sports talk on Sports Beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. Welcome back to Sportsbeat here on WSBT Radio. I'm joined by my weekly guest on Wednesday, Tyler Horka from Blue and Gold Illustrated. He is the Notre Dame football beat reporter for Blue and Gold Illustrated and also covers the Notre Dame women's basketball team. He's going to help out on the coverage of Mike Bray's final home game tonight. And I guess I probably shouldn't ask Tyler, will you be a part of the reporting of what will happen at the linebacker tonight? Absolutely. You can catch me there. Anytime you can get me to go to the linebacker and and technically be paid for it, which would be a first, you know I'm there. Yeah, I have a feeling some videos will be rolling at the linebacker tonight. If Mike Bray goes as he said he was going to during yesterday's media session, I know you don't cover the Notre Dame men's basketball team exclusively, but how about just a thought as Mike goes into this final home game 23 years as the head coach, I was here when he got the job, and he has taken this program to new heights. Despite what has happened this year, I know it kind of rains on the parade, but this team has been awfully competitive in two tough leagues, the Big East and the ACC, during his tenure. Yeah, absolutely, and I grew up in Texas, so pretty much the entire time that Mike Bray has been at Notre Dame, I was down there, and his influence even stretched all the way down there, especially when he had those teams that were making those Elite Eight runs. I know there were very fun Notre Dame teams to watch. And if you're getting college students in Austin, Texas, really excited about Notre Dame basketball, all of those miles away, then you've definitely done something right. And yeah, 23 years is a really long time to do anything. We celebrated Tom Brady when he had his, what was it, right right around the same length of his career, 20 to 25 years. We're celebrating LeBron James right now for being in his 20th year. Uh, anytime you have longevity like that, and to do it all at one place, too. I mean, even LeBron has bounced around a couple places. Brady pretty much did it all at one location, but Mike Bray, 23 years at the same college institution, coaching the same team for that long. Uh, it's, it's bound to get a little stale at some point. I think it had. He pretty much admitted to that a month and a half ago, two months, whatever it was when he said he was going to step down. But I, I don't think anybody is looking at this one season um, you know, it, it hasn't gone the way that Mike Bray would have wanted it to. Notre Dame fans would have wanted it to. But you have to look at the scope of this whole entire thing. And it's just been really impressive for him to be able to stay here for this long. Well said. Tyler, let's move to your meat and potatoes, the Notre Dame football team. The month of February has finally come to a close. And it has been as newsy of a month of February that I can remember with the coaching changes. The dominoes started to fall when Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach, moved on to Alabama. And one of Tommy's old positions, quarterback coach, has now been filled officially. We got the word from Notre Dame today that Gino Gadouli, 
We'll join Marcus Freeman here in South Bend. And it sure seems like, Tyler, right now that Marcus is doing a very good job as a young head coach, building his coaching staff around people that he truly trusts and has known for a good amount of time. Yeah, I think anytime you're a 36-year-old head coach like Marcus is, you're going to kind of lean on some of the guys that you've kind of established relationships with before. And obviously, Marcus goes back to Cincinnati with Gino Gadulli, but I think it's a little bit more than that as well. I kind of look at it from the perspective of, okay, when Tommy Reese, uh, when the news came out that he was officially going to be leaving Notre Dame for Alabama right about a month ago, it's been one month, that was early February, you start seeing some of these names pop up to replace him as the offensive coordinator, let alone his duty as a quarterback's coach. And Gino Gadulli's name actually came up. This is a guy that has offensive coordinator experience last season at Cincinnati. And if Luke Fickle, who I really regard as one of the, the best coaches in college football right now, I mean, he got that job at Wisconsin. He could have got a lot of other jobs, it seems, over the last five years or so for what he did at Cincinnati. If Luke Fickle trusts Gino Gadulli to come along with him to Wisconsin and wants him to oversee the quarterback in the passing game there, and you see Gino Gadulli's name pop up on all these lists to get the outright offensive coordinator position at Notre Dame for Marcus Freeman to be able to hire him solely as the quarterback's coach. And if you want to tag along that passing game coordinator tag as well, then then do that. I think it's a really big win because I mean, just last week where everyone is kind of celebrating Jared Parker for getting the offensive coordinator job, and it still remains to be seen what kind of job he's going to do at Notre Dame with that for Parker to be able to have Gadouli kind of as as a right-hand man. And for these Notre Dame quarterbacks to have, this mentor in their ear, this guy that is pretty much solely working with them in Gadouli, I think it's a really big thing for Notre Dame. And, and like you said, Marcus Freeman did a pretty solid job in sealing the deal on Gadouli as the Notre Dame quarterback's coach. And Tyler, see, I have no worries at all about the offensive coordinator and the quarterback coach not being the same person. In fact, I think you can look at it this way, that the quarterback coach can now spend more time not only getting the starter ready for the next game, but also there is time to build the younger quarterbacks in the system. And, you know, I'm not saying that Tommy didn't have time to do that, but there's only so many minutes and hours in the day. This quarterback coach, Caduli, can really help develop guys like Angeli and Buckner during spring football and even during fall and in game weeks because he's going to have a little more time to work with. So I really don't have any worries about this. Yeah, I wrote the same thing at blueandgold.com Wednesday morning, this morning, that I I totally agree with that. I think it's great to have an extra set of eyes on that position. Uh, Tommy Reese is 30 years old, and you have to think that Time management is a huge element in any job, and and especially when you're coaching football and only have so many hours on the field with these guys, only so many many hours in the film room with these guys as well. So I think it's going to be really beneficial for Parker and Gadouli to sit down with the quarterbacks in the same room. And now you're not just hearing it from one guy in Tommy Reese. You're hearing it from two guys. And I know there's a bunch of offensive analysts that play into this as well, but this just seems like the right move to me for a school that for so long has been kind of looked down upon in the national landscape as a a school that is maybe lagging behind some of these other quarterback factories, if that's what you want to call them. I mean, there's so many other college football programs around the country, some very close to Notre Dame. I mean, four hours away 
in Columbus, Ohio, you can look at one where they just pump in these quarterbacks, they get these recruits, and they send them off to the NFL, and they put up all these numbers while they're in college and all these things. Notre Dame has not been that. Now, I'm not saying Gino Gadulli is is the cure-all answer for making Notre Dame that, but it, it is kind of interesting to see if you do go the different direction like this and you do have a guy solely dedicated to the quarterback that maybe some things can change. He is Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. So Gadouli is now official, and now we wait probably a few more days for the vetting process to take place, and Notre Dame will probably announce next week their new offensive line coach. And, Tyler, I know you guys have been reporting that it's going to be Joe Rudolph, the Virginia Tech offensive line coach and run game coordinator, probably more well-known for his time on the Wisconsin staff, his alma mater, where he had some big titles and big roles with that Wisconsin program. You lose Harry Heaston, I mean, Tyler, it's very difficult to replace Harry Heaston. It's even more difficult when we're talking about trying to hire someone in February. How do you think this is all going to work out for Marcus Freeman and the Fighting Irish? Yeah, it's definitely interesting because a year ago, there was so much excitement and optimism about Harry Heaston coming back. And you're talking to 17, 18-year-old recruits, and the first thing that they're saying is, oh my goodness, I can't wait to learn from Harry Heaston. I can't wait to be around him and just to absorb all that he has to offer because he's been doing this for such a long time and he's coached so many of the greats at Notre Dame that maybe I can be one of those. That's what you are you were getting from these recruits. Now you're not going to get any of that because he's gone and Joe Rudolph doesn't really resonate with these guys like Harry Heaston. But that said, I mean, Joe Rudolph kind of did the same thing at Wisconsin for six or seven years that Harry Heastan was doing at Notre Dame for pretty much the same time span. Harry Heastan got to Notre Dame for the first time a little bit earlier than Joe Rudolph did at Wisconsin. But, I mean, these are two of the schools that, if you're looking at the moniker Offensive Line University, O-Line U, these two pop up pretty much before anyone else in the country. And usually that goes back to how you recruit at that position, how you coach at that position, and how you develop at that position. And Joe Rudolph was doing all of that at Wisconsin. So, again, his name is not going to resonate like a Harry Heastan, but for him to do what he did at Wisconsin I think was a great job. He's got a really solid background. I mean, this is no spring chicken. We're talking about a guy who started his coaching career as a graduate assistant at Ohio State almost 20 years ago now. So he was around uh, that powerhouse. I mean, the team that was winning national championships, going to national championship games, while Marcus Freeman was actually a linebacker at Ohio State under Jim Tressel all those years ago. So he's a guy that's been around. He's a guy that's done it at a couple of really big institutions. And I really think the selling point on Rudolph was what he did at Wisconsin. Because like I said, when you talk about offensive lines in college football, you, you mentioned Notre Dame and you mentioned Wisconsin. So it's, uh, it's a pretty good thing for Joe Rudolph that he's going to be able to say that he's been at both of those stops now. I know you are still a pretty young guy, but think back to when you started in this business. Could you imagine that college football teams would create a general manager position like many are doing, and it sounds like Notre Dame is heading down that road as well? Yeah, it's pretty crazy, but um, I, I kind of get it in the sense that, I mean, this, is, this has become such a business, college football. I mean, you've got NIL, you've got the players 
getting paid. You've got head coaches that have to see so oversee so much more than they did, like you said, even five years ago. I mean, I, I've been out of school for five years now. Think about how much the game has changed even in that time. So I just think that there's so much going on within not just college football, but the landscape of college athletics. I mean, it, it just feels totally different than what it did when I was in school. I mean, I started school nine years ago, and I, it's, it's kind of crazy to think back on just how different things were then. I mean, Mac Brown, like I said, I, I grew up in Texas. I went to Texas. Mac Brown was just leaving Texas at the time that I was coming into school. That's already been nine, ten years. And you think about just how different things were when he had his tenure. I mean, you've seen it at North Carolina. It's been hard for him to get back to the top of the mountaintop of college football because it's just so different. There's so many things to oversee. You're not just selling a guy and recruiting on, hey, this is a brand. you got to come here. You're going to be great. There's a lot of different elements to get a guy onto campus now. And even at a school like Notre Dame, there are so many different things that you have to tell this, these kids. You have to kind of sell them on to get them to Notre Dame. So anytime you can create a different uh, kind of role or, or you can give someone a little bit more authority in helping you out and, and developing your program, I think with the way things are in 2023, you have to do that. Let's shift gears for a moment to the Irish women's basketball team who won the ACC regular season title Sunday with Olivia Miles out with a knee injury for majority of the game. They still beat Louisville and got a ton of help from Carolina beating Duke, so the Irish won the outright ACC regular season title. Uh, first off, your impressions of the Notre Dame team playing without Miles and any gut feeling on Miles' availability this week when the Irish take the floor Friday in the ACC tournament? Yeah, first on Miles, I've been asking around some people close to her. Obviously, we talked to Niel Ivey in advance of this ACC tournament, and I do believe she's supposed to speak in Greensboro. So check blueandgold.com for what she has to say there. But it's just kind of up in the air right now. I think it was a good sign to see her walking around the second half and kind of even jumping around when Notre Dame won that game. And then obviously in the locker room, they had the ACC championship trophy that she was able to celebrate with. It's a good sign to see her kind of moving around because you think about the Dara Mabry injury, and I know there were some different things involved with that. She ended up actually fracturing part of her leg, and I don't think there's anything to worry about there with Miles, but she was on crutches immediately, and you saw her on crutches in the postgame. Miles just put a sleeve on and was kind of walking around, so you hope that it's just a sprain of some sort. But, look, this is a team that, like you said, wrapped up the number one seed in the ACC. They could lose on – Friday to NC State or Syracuse and still be probably a number two, a number three seed at the worst in the NCAA tournament. So you don't necessarily need Olivia Miles going into this tournament. You, you would like to win it. You would like to go into the big dance on a good note and, and kind of go in with some momentum. But this is a Notre Dame team last year that lost in the semifinal, got upset by Miami and ends up winning a couple games in the NCAA tournament and going to the Sweet 16. So I don't think what happens this week is paramount to what happens in the NCAA tournament. What's paramount is Olivia Miles being healthy, and if that means holding her out of these games, then you do it. You don't even think twice about it. But overall, I mean, I think there are some good things going on with freshman K.K. Bransford and freshman Cassandra Prosper combining for 25 points in that game against Louisville. Obviously, if you can get 20-plus a night out of Sonia Citrone, that's going to really help your chances of winning any single ball game 
even without Olivia Miles. So there's some good individual performances, but number one is the health of Olivia Miles still. And then number two, just kind of get, get these players a little bit more reps going into the big dance. Tyler Horka from Blue and Gold Illustrated is my guest. Could you explain to our listeners who have not heard about this, ACC Network host uh, Mark Packer, <laughs> the son of legendary basketball voice Billy Packer, who just left us recently, made some comments after Neil Ivey won ACC Coach of the Year. Could you explain? Yeah, let me just kind of give a little bit of an analogy. This would be like, uh, imagine you're at, the Oscars or some big awards show and some actor wins an award. And instead of that actor being able to go up and give their speech as they normally do, the person giving out the award stays on stage and tells everybody in attendance, the entire audience, why another candidate should have won that award. That's exactly what Mark Packer did. It was, Hey, Neil Ivy is ACC coach of the year, but here's why Duke's Tara Lawson should have been the recipient. I mean, it, when you set up those awards and you're doing them on TV like that, what you should do is say who won and then give some reasons why that person won. Show that Notre Dame was 15-3 and three in the ACC. Show that Notre Dame did all of these things to amass a record that no other team in the conference did. It's not like they split this uh, ACC championship. They were 15-3. and three. The next best teams were 14-4. and four. It was an outright victory for Notre Dame, and Packers still went on to say that, well, Carol Lawson had Duke, a team that should have not even been in the conversation to win the ACC right there with Notre Dame. At the end of the day, the fact is Notre Dame won the ACC. Notre Dame was picked to finish fourth in the ACC. He failed to mention that on the broadcast. So it just felt like a slight to Neil Ivey and everything that she was able to do. Losing a starter, a graduate senior in Darren Mabry, halfway through conference play, she overcame that, overcame Lauren Ebo, the team's best post player, missing five games. None of this was mentioned on the broadcast, but it, it just felt a little strange and a little out of place. I mean, you can have that opinion. Carol Lawson did a phenomenal job with Duke. That, that all is true. It just didn't feel like the time and place for Packer to kind of make the arguments that he did. And it's gotten a lot of people fired up on social media, that's for sure. Mm. All right, Tyler, how can listeners out there who are Irish fans be a part of the Blue and Gold family? Yeah, go to blueandgold.com. We're still running a deal that you can get access through the start of this coming football season, 2023 season, for $29.99. It's a heck of a deal. Uh, Spring football fires up in three weeks, and that's one of the biggest times to learn about the Fighting Irish. We're going to have boots on the ground in South Bend, bringing you coverage of practices, press conferences, and everything through the spring game on April 22nd. So get to blueandgold.com for that. And then obviously, like I said, I'll have to – Coverage from the linebacker lounge tonight. Apparently Mike Bray going in there for the first time. That's exclusive content. There's a lot of people who have been to the linebacker that probably live in New York and California right now that want to know what it's like yeah. when Mike Bray is in there. I'll be able to give that to you. So that, along with everything else that we're doing at blueandgold.com, it's always a special time to get there and be a part of it. Looking forward to that coverage tonight. Tyler, thanks for doing this as always. Good luck tonight with the Irish men's basketball team. We'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks, Darren. That's Tyler Horka from Blue and Gold Illustrated. More sports speed next on WSBT.
Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 